you have your Bible tonight, let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you took a class at faith or worked at faith, would you stand up? If you've taken a class at faith or you worked at faith, would you just stand up? All right, that's pretty awesome. Thank you. You may be seated. We have a lot of great alumni. I would just say if you saw anyone that stand up and you have questions about faith, uh, talk to them. Uh, Jen Walter, who is here tonight, uh, 2001 graduate, was just named uh, Ankeny Area Chamber of Commerce, 2023 Outstanding Citizen of the Year. And uh, so that was pretty cool. And uh, Phil Betts, who's here, is an alum. Uh, Stephen Moore, who's sharing the speaking with me, is an alum. Yeah, not all of our alum are, you know, not all of them are home run hitters. I mean, we do have a Willie, right? I mean, they can't, they can't. But thankfully, he married Lindy, and so Lindy is a home run hitter. And so uh, Willie is, uh, I love Willie, I'm just teasing him. But uh, it's really, uh, really been a blessing to be here this week. Thought I'd quick show you a picture of my family. Uh, this is our family, our oldest daughter and her two kids, and uh, Pavel, her husband, my son Tim and his wife in the middle, and my youngest daughter and her husband on the far left. And uh, that's our family, and uh, really blessed to serve with them. And a lot of people ask us, are, were you born in Canada? Uh, I do say A a lot, and I do say process, but uh, we were not born in Canada. So I was born in Minnesota, my wife's from Wisconsin. We are dual citizens. Our youngest daughter was born in Canada. And so she had to apply for American citizenship. We honestly never thought we'd be coming back. And so we got dual citizenship, planned to spend the rest of our life in Canada. And uh, then God changed all that when he asked us to come to faith. So if you have your uh, Bible tonight, let's go to our notes. Uh, when we got together, uh, Matt kind of uh, contacted us. I was on the road traveling and we were kind of, uh, it was kind of me, Matt and Stephen. And we were just thinking, how are we going to do this? What are we going to speak on? And the danger when you do something specific to this is you're going to have some people here tonight, teenagers, singles, and they might say, well, how does this apply to me? But I, I think, I do think it does, but I still think it's so important it's worth doing tonight. And tomorrow night I'm going to talk about the wives, so probably a lot of wives are going to go early for the fireworks tomorrow night. But, um, and I'll tell you what, what caused this burden was we got asked to speak at Bibleville. And if you've never heard of Bibleville, Bibleville is a retirement community for a lot of ministry leaders uh, in Texas. And uh, so my wife and I were down there in January, and they had a, a family take us for lunch every day, a family take us for supper every night. So we were just spending, they gave us a golf cart, it was pretty cool. And uh, we just felt like, man, this is what retirement's going to be like for us someday. And as we interacted with all these people, people are on second marriages, we end up finding out that there is a whole bunch of people that are struggling in their marriage. And I'll just be honest, when I thought I was going to Bibleville, I thought, man, these people, they got it all figured out. I mean, these people have spent their life in ministry, they've been married a long time. And we heard heartbreak after heartbreak. And I think if you've been married at all, you understand Satan hates the church and he hates the family. And he is relentless at attacking those two institutions because God loves them. I can't imagine there's a husband. I, in fact, if you've ever heard me preach on prayer, I say, if I know the message is on prayer being a husband, I don't need to hear the sermon. I can just come forward and repent right then because I can always do better. And guys, as we go through this tonight, I, I just if you're open-hearted tonight, I have to believe that God's gonna speak to your heart. 
And what I'm going to ask you to do, ladies, is not be the Holy Spirit tonight, all right? He doesn't need any of these, um, and he doesn't need, after you walk out of here tonight, what are you going to work on? What would you think of that? I would encourage you, let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit, and I'll ask the reverse tomorrow night, because I would expect that the ladies will not get out of here tomorrow night without God speaking to them. Because I doubt there's anyone in the room that says, man, I am the absolute perfect husband. There is no room for improvement. My wife is so lucky to have me. And I doubt there's a wife here tonight that says, man, I'm just the perfect wife. I mean, he's so lucky to have, there's no room for improvement. And so in fact, probably you're going to see a lot of things tonight that you say, oh, that's a good reminder. I'm going to ask you as you leave tonight to focus on one thing. You're going to probably have a few things that you say, "I, I needed this reminder. Uh, in fact, the Living Hope is here tonight at church. I just did a, a, a marriage retreat for them. This is the one message I did there. It's the only one this week I'm repeating. And I've repeated this a few times because as I've worked through marriage counseling, there's always a problem with the roles. If, if you're getting into marriage counseling, if you're having a married, husband and wife that are going to war with each other, one of the issues will always be a role issue. It's always going to be there. Uh, Five years in our marriage, I said, man, I have a great marriage, don't we, honey? My wife looked at me and said, nope. And I was an assistant pastor. I should have gone and got help from the senior pastor. I didn't. You know, as a pastor, we've hosted a couple's retreat, and we were absolutely at each other's throat. And, And nobody knew but us, but, you know, that's a pretty rotten feeling, isn't it? And, and I think what I've found as I've traveled in Bibleville just really cemented it for me. There's a lot of marriages that need a little help, and we all get so busy, we don't know who to talk to. In fact, often we don't want to talk to anyone. And yet God has so much to say about being a husband. If you're a teenager here, hopefully someday you will get married. At least it's a possibility. If you're a teen here, you can say, hey, I need to pay attention to what a husband should be. I need to pay attention to what a wife should be. If you're single... You don't know how long you're going to be single. I, I told you that uh, my mom passed away four years ago. And for three years, my dad was completely uninterested in getting me married. And uh, my grandma passed away. He ended up being there, and it was uh, all hands on deck. So he was with his sister, who she was a widow. He was with my grandma. And for, tw- for a month, he was with someone. And then he came back to the house, and he was just totally alone. He said, Jim, it hit me like when your mother died. I couldn't even go in the bedroom. I just was sleeping in the chair. It was just the, the hardest thing I've gone through. And he said, I think I would like to meet someone. How should I do that? Should I get on the internet? I was like, no, Dad, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> and so I had a friend out at Maranatha Village, which would be like the, the East Coast equivalent of Bibleville, with a lot of widows. And my dad goes down and meets one, and, uh, and within a month, marries her. And... Uh, Praise God, she's a sweetheart. <laughs> he called me three weeks in. He says, I, I need a pastor. And I'm like, you did not. <laughs> Dad, you did not get engaged. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Dad, what are you doing? You can imagine my sisters. I mean, they totally lost their mind. You would have never let us do that when we were dating. <laughs> and you know what everyone says? Well, it's different. <laughs> But you know what? He just got married, and you know what? Now they have to adjust to each other. And there's still things you have to learn about being a husband. And so 
Though you may have heard this before, that's a good reminder. These, by the way, this is not original to me, the, the bones of this, the, the major notes. I took a counseling class years ago from Robert Smith and Bill Good. Uh, they're kind of the founders of the ABHE movement at Lafayette. And uh, I remember taking these notes, and you know what? I've been married coming up here in the end of this month. I'll be married 33 years, and I still have to work on this. And I still am reminded, oh, man, this is not, I'm not where I should be here. And if we take your time, if we go, I'm, I'm going to rush. We're, we're in, this is where I envy Stephen. He gets a whole hour to preach in the morning. <laughs> man, I'm getting ripped off. Uh, so, uh, so we're going to have to fly. But James 4.17, you can write this down and put it just off the side. You can look it up yourself. But James 4.17 says, if you know to do right and do it not, to you it is sin. And I don't know about you, but if I label something sin, that moves it to a different category. And often when I'm a poor husband, I just want to come up with excuses. Uh, I've just been, yeah, I'm a workaholic, or I've been too busy, or, you know, but when I get honest and go, actually, that's a sin, now I have to do something about it. And so the goal is not to make you feel guilty tonight, but the goal is, I would say most marriages, let let me ask you this, I, I know I'm going too fast, let me slow down. Would you agree with me tonight that Christian marriages should be different than unsaved marriages? They should be. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you would say, that's pretty much what I always see? Because again, as someone who travels a lot, I wouldn't say I see a lot of difference. Though the Bible says we should. And I honestly, I don't hear a lot of preaching about being a husband. I don't hear a lot of preaching about being a wife. And I understand there's reasons. And then it just, as we met with the guys, I, I said to Matt and Stephen, I said, man, it is family camp. And I just feel like this is a topic that a lot of churches, by the way, we all understand our churches are only as healthy as our families are, right? If we asked all the pastors in this room, how many pastors have had to do marriage counseling? How many pastors have had heartbreaking situations? I, I can't imagine a pastor in the room. I, I'll just talk, and some of you have heard these illustrations, but I, I'll never forget. Remember when Tiger Woods got in trouble? Some remember he got caught having an affair and his wife used his golf clubs for something other than hitting a golf ball. Remember that? A lady in her 70s booked an appointment. And in my mind, I was like, I wonder what she wants to talk about. She came to my office and she said, did you see that with Tiger Woods? I said, you mean like his wife attacking him with the golf clubs? Yes. I said, yeah, I saw that. She said, I was sitting there with my husband, and, and I, I don't know why I asked this, but Pastor, I looked over at him and said, you've never done that, have you? And I could tell by the look on his face he had. And 20 years earlier, as a mailman, he'd had an affair. He'd ended it. For the last 18, 19 years, he had been faithful to her. He had repented personally. But now this came out. And you can imagine, as any wife, I want nothing to do with him. And we came into marriage counseling, and God did an amazing work. We used to do family camps with our church. It wasn't this elaborate. It was mostly trailers. A guy came and said, hey, I need to talk to you. I said, well, we're going to be in a family camp. Can we talk then? Sure. Got to family camp. We're sitting out at a, a picnic table. I said, hey, what do you want to talk about? No, not here. I need to talk in your truck. Okay. This is a youth sponsor. had been working with our teens for five years. I assume their marriage was going great, looked great on the outside. By the way, I'm a pastor, I'm a college president. My wife and I can look good on the outside, and there's been times when we are at each other's throat. 
then you would have never known. You ever go to bed and don't touch me? <laughs> Look at opposite walls? You know, it's crazy working with college students. I love working with teenagers and college students. And, and I tell you, our, our college and, and teenagers fight a huge battle with pornography today. And when I grew up, I was in a small town. If I wanted to look at porn, I had to go into a, a building in our small town and risk someone seeing me. I wasn't going to do that. But who doesn't have one of these today? I mean, this is the one thing that it doesn't cost you any money. It's free. And I can't tell for a long time. And, and I tell you, one thing I love at Faith, we tell every freshman class, you can tell us anything you want for the first two weeks. We are not going to kick you out. We're here to help you. And I always preach a moral purity, big response, and a ton of college students get. And by the way, 18 to 22, that's the best time of your life to have a victory. Maybe some of you are getting judgy on me right now, but I want to challenge you. Christian college is the best place to get right. Now, don't get good at hiding sin. Get good at confessing sin. We want to build a culture at faith where it's okay to say, I'm not perfect. That's okay tonight to say, I'm, I'm not a good husband. It's just not okay to stay there. And I think too often we're, we're just too busy. We got so much going on. We've never taken time to look at what does God say I should be as a husband. And, and I just think as we go through this tonight, like myself, even in preparing for this, I already have things that I need to work on. You know, it's funny, every pastor in this room, you know, there's people in their church who go, man, it must be so nice to be married to him. <laughs> My wife would go, yeah, if he could get his socks in the hamper, that'd be super nice. Because <laughs> your wife knows what it's like to live with you. And she goes, man, it's not that great. One of the things I had told my wife a long time ago with God's help, I'll never be a, an intentional hypocrite. I'll never get up here and preach something that I'm unwilling to work on. I think that'd be too hard on my wife to sit in the audience and go, hey, he's telling everyone else to do that, but he's not even trying. And so guys, as we go through this tonight, I want to challenge you. If you know to do right and don't do it, the Bible says it's sin. And I'd like you to try tonight. I'd like you to go away from one thing. There's going to be more than one thing, I think, that you say, man, I need to work on this. I want you to go away with one thing you say, I will work on. By the way, if you finish this week and you just changed one thing, would that be worth it? It would be to your spouse. So I'll reverse the question tomorrow night, ladies. If you would change one thing, would it be worth it? Your husband would probably say yes. I, I had a great time last night with, with a group of people, and we just heard testimonies. And I heard a couple that just kind of came out of a cult and bad teaching. And, and I sat there listening to that last night. It just reminded me, this is why you bring a Bible to church. And the Bereans, you know what's so great about the Bereans? They search the scriptures daily whether these things are so. And so what I'm asking you to do tonight is just follow along in the Bible. And if you disagree, prove it wrong. But get in God's word. And if you're in God's word, hopefully it's going to say that is what the Bible says. And if it is what the Bible says, then I do need to do it. It's not a suggestion. It's not Jim's opinion. By the way, who cares what I think? But if God's word says it, then we have to work on it. So I hope that you'll be with me tonight. By the way, good news on both of those accounts, both repented, wives restored. God healed those marriages. And every anniversary, we'll get a note, hey, thanks. You know, I had a church between five and 600 that only a handful of transfer, most of them got saved in our church, first generation church. They were very easy to admit their problems. And yet I travel a lot in a lot of established churches. We don't want anyone to know we're not perfect. 
But nobody's perfect. And church is a hospital. And you know why your pastors have spent so much time studying this book so they can help you in and out of the pulpit? And, you know, we... I have a rule if I'm traveling somewhere, if my wife calls me, I'll take the phone call. And I was out in California and I got a call. It was Joan. Panic on the other end of the phone. Jim, a pipe burst. Our house is flooding. I did not say to her, honey, open up the front door, let the water run out. I always wanted a water feature out the front. When that happens, I got panicky because we both know we got to get the water shut off, but she didn't know where the main line was. I always took care of that. So I said, honey, quick, get to the basement. So she's on the phone. I'm in the basement. Go in the furnace room. Okay, I'm in the furnace room. Okay, it's there on the left. I'm looking at the left. I don't see it. It's right there, honey. No, it's not. Stop yelling at me. I'm not yelling at you. You know how that drill goes. <laughs> and we got that water shut off. You know what we both understood? We got a problem and we got to fix it now. Do you know how many times people have marriage problems and they live with it for years? And folks, you could have a good marriage. You know, when God says don't divorce, it's not because he wants you to stay together miserably. God says don't divorce because he can help it be awesome. He can fix and repair. He can make beauty out of ashes. You could have done things wrong for decades. God can turn it around. God can heal what you've broken if you're willing to do it his way. And that's why you bring a Bible to say, is that what the Bible says? If the Bible says it, don't, I don't care if the preacher said it. If the Bible says it, then I want to work on this in my marriage. And this is full of instructions. We're going to scratch the surface and we're going to have to really fly now. But I think if we scratch the surface, it can be helpful. Let me encourage you tonight, view your marriage not as a battle, but as something you must battle to protect. Rather than viewing your wife as your enemy, look for ways to draw her into your conflict as your ally. And let's open a prayer and we'll get started tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together. I pray for the men in this room. I pray that as we look at these areas very quickly tonight, God, if you speak to our hearts, I pray that we would respond. God, help us to want to be a better husband. God, help us to desire to love our wife, to learn about our wife, and to lead our wife the way you've biblically asked us to. And God, may our wives be blessed because we're their husband. And God, I pray that we would lay down some of our barriers tonight, that we'd not be prideful, but that we would come tonight saying, God, show me what I need to see. As David prayed, search me, O God, and try my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that is life everlasting. God, may that be the prayer of every married man in this room tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's go down very quickly through this outline. There's three words that describes a husband role. If you have a marriage problem, it's always going to involve a role problem. So let's look at these roles. Number one, you're to be a learner. Go to 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. In your blanks there, world says you can't understand a woman. That's true of women in general. Praise God, you don't have to understand women in general. You've got to figure one out, the one you married, all right? Uh, number three, it's a command that takes study. If you want help with this, you can send me a note, Tillotson J at faith.edu. We'll send you 50 questions to ask your wife. Uh, you should know the answers to those, but I haven't had a guy know 15 out of 50, and it has easy things. Favorite color, favorite dessert, favorite restaurant. Some are beginning to be repetitive. What is the greatest fear as a wife, as a woman, as a mother? Some of those may not apply. But I think you'll find that you probably don't know your wife as well as you should. 
You ever walk in a room and she's crying and you say, honey, what's the matter? And she says, you should know. She's right. But ladies, when you don't tell us, that does not help us, all right? If we, if we missed it the first time, we're not getting it now. And yet some women, they're so ticked off, they're like, I'm not telling you. Thanks, that is super helpful. I'm going to wrap myself in tinfoil and try and get some signal in this house somehow. So ladies, you got to help us. But guys, you need to study your wife. Guys, can you buy her a gift? You know her size? You know her favorite color? Or do you buy her a gift and she returns it? You know what hurts her? Do you know what gets her upset? Do you know how much sleep she needs? It's a command to treat her as fragile. Men are like buffaloes. Women are like trying to catch a bubble. You ever try and catch a bubble without breaking it? But a lot of guys get married and they treat their wife like one of the guys. And, and I, I hope you have your Bibles open. Dwell with them according to understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, being heirs together the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. It's learning that affects your spiritual life. If you don't dwell with your wife according to knowledge, your prayer life is hindered. I love what Dr. McLaughlin said. God will be as insensitive to a husband's needs uttered in his prayers as a husband is insensitive to the needs of his wife whispered in her ears. Guys, how are you doing on the honey-do list at home? Did you promise your wife to take care of something? You ever have the light bulb go out in the refrigerator and your wife says, hey, can you get a light bulb? And you're like, yeah, I'll take care of that. And she learns Braille before you put a new light bulb in there. You know what I'm talking about? She can reach in the dark and find anything. And then she has the nerve to ask you about it. Are you going to change the light bulb? Told you I was going to do it. That's three months ago, honey. Thanks. That's great. Guys, are we taking care of those things? Are you a learner about your wife? You did when you were dating. When you were dating, you figured out what she liked. You, you figured out her favorite restaurant, favorite meal. And by the way, her answers are going to change about every three to five years. And I've, heard, I've had some guys go, oh, you're kidding me. I'm like, well, how many of you have a three year or five-year-old cell phone or a five-year-old laptop? There's always a guy who does, by the way. <laughs> well, I got one. I walk up with a walkie-talkie. <laughs> Sir, you missed the whole point here. <laughs> that is not normal, right? Most of us keep up with technology. And if you're keeping up with technology, you need to keep up with your wife. You need to be a learner. Number two, you need to be a lover. The strength to love your wife can only come from dependence on God's work in your life. You love, your love for your wife and all others will flow from your deepening love for Christ. In order to truly love your wife, you need to Direct your heart, mind, and affections toward Christ first. To love your wife, you must first love Christ deeply. One of the reasons a lot of men are not good husbands is they're not having their devotions. They're not reading the Bible daily. They don't love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, like we talked about on Sunday morning. They're playing church. You know what playing church is like? I had three kids. If you grew up in a pastor's home, what do pastor's kids want to play? (laughs) They want to play church. My oldest daughter was the pastor. Tim was the guy collecting the offering. <laughs> you know how many times we go to church and play church? I mean, as Matt's leading us in worship, are you singing to the Lord? Or are you just watching him? You know, when you sing, you should be singing to the Lord. Everything at church is to be worshiping God. And you can't love your wife until you love God like you should. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. 
Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. Let's come down quickly. What is love? Our culture doesn't help. Point number one. Biblical view. God so loved the world that he what? John 3.16. Gave. Biblical love is giving. Biblical love is a test of masculinity, is point number three, in the sense that it is godlike. Love is an action word. Our culture has changed the word of love. Let's go make love. No, that's not biblical love. There's a difference between love and lust. Lust can't wait, love can. Lust says I have to have it now. I mean, it's the dime and the nickel, right? Which one does a little kid pick? They'll take the nickel every time, but it's not worth more. It's, I tell you, it's weird to me. I work with high schoolers and college students, and I fight with them to not have sex until they get married. And then I fight with married people after they've been married to have sex. Who do you think's behind that? By the way, sex is never usually the problem. If you're, if you're not being intimate on a regular basis, there's usually another problem that's going on. And guys, if you're abusing that verse, woman, submit, you're an idiot. In fact, I used to tell our church, if that's how you try and rule, and we'll cover this uh, tomorrow night when I talk to the wives, but we need to wrap you in a blanket, beat the snot out of you, and run away, all right? That's, that'll help you. And the reason often that a, w- a wife isn't interested is because she doesn't feel loved. By the way, was that a problem when you were dating? Most couples, when they were dating, there was a strong desire to be intimate with each other. That really shouldn't go away in a healthy marriage. I know there may be some physical issues, but often it's because a wife does not feel loved. And you sit there and go, well, she doesn't do this for me, but she could put her foot down and say, yeah, but you don't love me. And guys, if you want to be really daring in the privacy of your own room, just you and your wife, look her right in the eye and say, do you feel loved? If she goes silent, she starts to cry. If she doesn't answer, that was an answer. And I'm standing before you telling you there's times that I would have had that look in my wife and, and she would have had to say, no, I do not feel loved. And you can either walk out of here tonight and say, well, she's got to suck it up. Or you can walk out of here tonight saying, man, I have got to change. I've got to look her in the eye and, have, and say, do, we, do you feel that I love you? And have her look me right in the eye and go, absolutely, I do. What degrees of love are we to show? If we're to love our wife the way God loves the church, this is how you come up with this list. How does God love the church? He loves us first, 1 John four nineteen. We love him because he what? First loved us. So when I have a marriage problem, who's supposed to go first in reconciling? If you're tracking with me tonight, who should go first? It should be the man. 
Who's usually going to read the book on marriage first, the wife or the husband? Usually the wife. Who's going to recommend you get marriage counseling first, the wife or the husband? Usually the wife. Guys, you may set the temperature in your home, but the wife will tell you what the temperature is. And when she says, we need to get help, you need to get help. And that's why you have a pastor. And you need to go to your pastor. And maybe your pastor isn't here. Uh, Matt offered it. If you say, I don't have a pastor. Matt's here. I don't know if you're doing that every day, but whatever days he's here, uh, he's here. I mean, I, I'd be available. But I'm just saying the, the best person is your pastor. And I'd have people come in and, and say, man, if I tell you everything, I can't keep going to church here. That'd be like me going to my doctor and after he does my exam saying, I can't see you anymore. And I'm glad you got the training you have. We're going to do a physical and I'm, I'm thankful that you're doing your job. And a pastor has been trained to help you in this area. And you, and you need to treat your marriage issues like a pipe burst in your home. I'm not saying it's the way it should be, but divorces do happen. And in our church, when they happened, it was often a wife who said, I told him five years ago to go get help, and he refused. By the way, when people are like this, you know what everyone says? If he will, I will, or if she will, I will. So I decided, you know what, when I have a couple say, who's going to go first? I just say, the most mature one will go first. (laughs) Because everyone wants to be the mature one, right? (laughs) But if you're hurting tonight, if your marriage is off tonight, you're wrestling with who's going to go first. Well, biblically, it should be the man. What degrees of love are we to show first? Number two, most, Ephesians 5.25. I say it this way. There should, I shouldn't be able to bring anyone in the room that loves your wife more than you do. The kids, her parents, nobody. Nobody should love her more than you do. Do you love your wife like that? By the way, do you love her? It should be obvious. Well, we'll keep coming. You need to love her sacrificially. You understand the Greek words for love. Agape, philoi, eros. Every husband loves eros, but the Bible says agape. That's sacrificial love, guys. I've had some men say, if I love my wife like this, it'll kill me. Well, I say, until it does, you need to keep trying. I mean, isn't that the example Christ set for us? And he actually did die on the cross. He actually did lay his life down. Problem is, a lot of us are so selfish, we want to make sure that we're doing what we want to do. We're not willing to sacrifice anything for our wives. I was talking to Stephen at supper. He said, you know, yeah, when kids came along, my golf game suffered, as it should, as it should. There's just going to be things that you don't do like you used to do when you were a single man. Why? Because you're married now, and you're having a wife and a kid to take care of. Number four, unmistakably, this should be unmistakable to everyone. By the way, is it unmistakable that God loves you? You can't read the Bible and not know that. And the Bible says it should be unmistakable to your wife. It should be unmistakable to her and it should be unmistakable to everyone around you. You ever see a couple and you can just tell they're in love? You're just hanging out with them a little bit. You just see the way they look at each other. You see the way they treat each other. And you just go, man, I love walking out behind an older couple. We had an older couple in our church. They didn't know Joe and I walked out behind them. They're half a block ahead of us and they're holding hands. I walked out and I said, man, honey, that's, that's, I want that to be us when we're that old. They, they weren't trying to impress anybody. They didn't know anyone was watching. But you just got around them and you could tell, man, they love being together. They love each other. Unmistakable. In spite of faults, Romans 5.8. In fact, take your Bible and go there very quickly. 
But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did God only love you when you were perfect? Praise God, that's not true, right? While you were sinners, he loved you. And when you say, I'm only gonna love my wife when she's perfect, you're not loving the way Christ loved you. In fact, your friends are your friends in spite of their faults and your enemies are your enemies because of their faults. It's all how you look at their faults. And you know what happens? People think, well, man, if Sally was just different, so you know what, I'm gonna get rid of Sally and I'm gonna go marry a Jane. But you know what, Jane has her whole set of issues. That, that's never the problem. The problem is what's coming up through the root system. Number six, without bitterness, Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wife and be not bitter against them. And you need to love her as your own body. Do you love your wife in these ways? Do you love her first, most, sacrificially, unmistakably, in spite of faults, without bitterness, as your own body? And lastly, in six minutes I have left, let's look at a leader. One of the most important things men need to learn is how to lead a strong woman rather than run from her. If you emotionally check out, you can't lead your wife. I'm gonna guess that probably half of the men in this room have a strong woman. And if you have a strong woman, by the way, I think Eve was a strong woman. And Eve takes the fruit, but do you realize, I used to think when I was a kid that Adam was like somewhere else. You do realize Adam's right there. And when Adam should have been the leader, when Adam should have stepped up, Adam went quiet. And then he ate with her. One of the most important things we men need to learn is how to lead a strong woman rather than to run from her. When constantly confronted with what we're doing wrong, if we retreat in morbid silence, if we play the victim rather than playing the man, bitterness settles in. Bitterness toward our wife, bitterness toward the Lord, and in bitterness we retreat. We desert our post. We think it's just too much. Do you feel your marriage problems are eating you alive tonight? Do you feel leading your wife is an impossible mission? Have you given up attempting to serve her as a spiritual leader because you've lost all your confidence? You need to be like Caleb and Joshua tonight. Remember when Caleb and Joshua went in the land? They saw something the other guys didn't see. And some of you, because you have a strong woman, you've given up. So you're super passive. She can do what she wants. You, you don't really argue. You just don't say anything. And the more she pushes, the, the further you retreat. And God's looking for men to step up and be the leaders that God's called us to be. And you see that if you're right here in Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body. What leadership is not in your notes, it's not a dictator. The, ser- the theme of servanthood is applied to leadership. The world defines leadership, how many serve you. Christ's definition of leadership is how many do you serve. Leadership is not demanding submission. We would all agree tonight we have to obey God. Would we agree with that? Three of us? <laughs> Quote my good friend, Stephen. <laughs> we would agree, we have to obey God. Let me ask the second question. Does God force you? He doesn't, does he? So it would be biblically wrong to force my wife. Though she should follow my leadership, 
God doesn't force me to follow his leadership. He tells me this is what you should do. And bullying your wife, abuse is always sinful. It is always wrong. And when you misuse God's word to bully and verbally and emotionally abuse your wife, you are sinning tonight. That is not okay. And you can't hide behind this verse, which is what a lot of guys want to do. You're taking that verse out of context. That's not how Christ led. Your wife, your church, your family needs a man who trusts God and follows him with unflinching courage. Leadership means service. That's what Jesus said. I don't have time to go to John. But remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? That was the job of a slave. When you showed up as guests, we don't do this in our culture today, but in their dusty culture, if I showed up as a guest, you would have the slave wash my feet. I mean, that was like the lowest job. And Jesus, to make a point, takes the disciples and says, I'm going to wash your feet. Remember, Peter, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, I don't wash your feet. You have no part of me. And then Peter's like, overreacts, right? Then wash all of me. And Jesus' point is, if you want to be great, learn to serve. Leadership is service. Leadership is not coming home and demanding your family serves you. I've worked hard all day. Every time I hear a guy say that, I just say, you know what I want you to do this week? I want you to take a day off and babysit the kids all day long and tell your wife to leave. Because you watch those kids all day long, all of a sudden you have a different perspective on I worked hard all day, right? I remember I was watching our our firstborn daughter. My wife was gone for half an hour. She says, hey, can you watch her? I said, happy, I can watch her. I was reading a book. I promise you, she was next to me. The next thing I hear, I hear a glass break downstairs. I look up, she's gone. I go down, she'd taken the butter dish, broke the butter dish and took the butter and rubbed it all through her head. (laughs) And every good dad knows my thought. We've got to get this cleaned up before mom gets home. (laughs) You ever try to get butter out of a girl's hair? That was like grease, that was crazy. I'm like, how did that happen? She was literally right here. And I'm just telling you, it gives you a new perspective, doesn't it? And guys, if you have a strong wife, I, I'm gonna rec- I don't know, this didn't get on your sheet. I, I'm going to recommend four books. Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. Men Who Love Fierce Women. If you have a strong wife, I highly recommend. I just finished this book a little bit ago. Uh, written by Leroy and Kimberly Wagner. Complete Husband by Lou Perillo and Sweethearts for a Lifetime by Wayne Mack. But men, you've got to be a leader. In fact, in the, in the book, he'll, he'll challenge you that there was points where he said, I've memorized all the verses of living with a contentious woman. I memorized the verse that's better to live out in the desert than with a contentious woman. I had a strong woman. He said, I realized, but I was a, I was a weak leader. And I had to re-engage. And he'll tell you, number one is pray with your spouse. I ask you men, is that the one thing you take out of this? Say, I got to start praying with my wife every day. For a lot of our years, we didn't do this. I thankfully can say that usually my wife and I pray together every night before I go to bed. But we need to pray together. 
How many of you have heard if you marry a carpenter, your house is never done. You marry a mechanic, your car never runs, right? You marry a preacher, <laughs> your soul's never cared for, right? I can't even tell how many times I got up and preached a message and got in the car. And my wife's like, man, sure glad I attended church today to find out what was going on in your life. That's not how that should go down. I need to be a spiritual leader, and so do you. Positively, pace setter, shepherd, not a cowboy. Situation, kids fighting in front of, t- of TV. Selfish leader goes in, shuts the TV off. Or worse yet, says, Mom, go deal with it. Servant leader sits down, hey, what's going on? Decision to buy a new car. Selfish leader gets what he wants. Servant leader gets what's best for the family. Wife says something inappropriate at church. Selfish leader calls her out in front of everyone. Servant leader deals with it privately. Let me give you these seven things and we'll be done. What does a good leader do? Number one, focuses on needs. I'll give you a lot of scripture. Again, if you disagree with me, go to the Bible and prove me wrong. I gave you these handouts so that you can do your own study. Do you know what your wife needs? By the way, I I might call an audible on the parenting session, but I would just say, do you even know what your kids are doing devotions? Do you know what your wife is doing devotionally? Are you goal-oriented? What are the goals that you have for your marriage this year? Number three, do you set an example of control? I had a guy who took every dish and smashed it, and they came in for marriage counseling, and this was his statement to me. Well, I didn't hit her. That's awesome, sir. You scared her to death, but I'm really glad you didn't hit her. Do you throw the tools? Do you kick the dog? Do your kids learn new words when they travel with it's just you? Or do you set an example of control? A good leader does. A good leader is under control. Now, just be honest, I meet a lot of guys who have a bad temper. And you, I, could, I could walk down this path a long way, but you know the Bible says in Proverbs, make no friendship with an angry man. And when you're the Hulk, remember the Hulk? He's always angry. When you're always angry, man, you've got to get help with that. I, I deal with, I've just had a situation at faith. Someone got angry and handled something terribly wrong. That always causes a lot of problems. And man, if you're an angry man tonight, you need help. You're probably going to need to talk to your pastor and say, you know what, I have a temper problem and I need help. I need some accountability. It's, it's not okay the way I, I handle things when they go wrong. By the way, we all live long enough to know life doesn't always go our way. I, I was at a GARB conference last week. I, if you watched the news and saw United had a problem, <laughs> I was on a United flight. I had a lot of problems. I had three canceled flights in one day. I've traveled all the time for eight years. It never happened to me. We completely boarded a plane with a crew. A lot of them didn't have a crew. And, and we were ready to leave. And they came on and said, we've decided we don't want this plane in Houston. We're going to leave this plane here. So even though you have a crew and everything's ready, we're canceling your flight. I heard words I hadn't heard since I was in construction. (laughs) I've seen people lose their minds. Does that make anything better? Guys, are you an example of control? Number four, do you solve problems? If your wife has said there is a problem, are you solving it? Are you ignoring it? I'll just tell you what some guys do. They tell your wife, don't tell anyone. 
That's not solving the problem, guys. If you had something at work going wrong, if you had something in the car going wrong, you'd solve it. Are you doing that in your marriage? If your wife is saying, hey, honey, we've got a problem, you should be the problem solver. It's up to you. Number five, are you a teacher? Number six, are you living joyfully with the wife of your youth? That's what Proverbs 5.18 says. Live joyfully with the wife of your youth. It doesn't say live joyfully with a youthful wife. And I would encourage you, are you fun to be around at home? Do you ever take your wife to the work party and everyone shows up and says to your wife, man, your husband is so much fun. He is so great. And you're sitting there going, my guy? He can't be my husband. You've got to be kidding me. He's like the grouch. Man, are you fun at home? Do you goof off with your wife? By the way, if you weren't fun, I doubt she would have married you. So at some point, even if you're a very serious person, there was a point in your life where your wife thought, you know what, he is fun to be around. When you get home, do your wife and kids run to the door or from the door? Good indication of, are you living joyfully with the wife of your youth? Man, when my wife and I are on the same page, we can have so much fun. I have never laughed harder with anyone in my life. And I have never been more ripped at anyone in my life than that sweet lady over there. You can go, man, how can you go from just laughing so you can't even breathe to just so mad you could just choke them? Which has never happened, by the way. (laughs) Some of you are so pious. (laughs) I've never had that thought. (laughs) Let me challenge you. You know what I'm talking about though, right? And the problem is if you don't resolve those issues, then it stops being fun for a long time. And then you go, hey, when's the last time we, we loved being together? When's the last time we looked forward to a date? When's the last time we just spent time together? I'm I'm over my time, but look at all the times it says dwell. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge. It's the same word that says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Same word. The idea being that marriage is a covenant of companionship. The whole point of getting married is your wife, you know, guys think, well, I provide for her. I hear that all the time. Guys, she could do that on her own. She doesn't need you to provide for her. She needs you to be a companion. The first thing that wasn't good, it's not good for man to be alone, needs a companion. You need to talk to her. You need to go out on dates. You need to spend time with her. You need to come home and say, hey, we're just gonna spend some time together. I am a workaholic. I can work too much. And that's where God's gotta work in you and say, I can't keep doing that. And spiritual leadership, number seven. There's so much we could say about being a husband, but guys, I would just challenge you. If God touched your heart in any of these areas, are you bitter tonight? Are you a spiritual leader? Are you praying with your wife? Are you fun to be around? Are you sitting here tonight saying, no, there's some things that could be better. If you do think that, would you work on them? There's not going to be an invitation tonight. I'm not going to ask anyone to respond. I am asking you to just pray and say, God, if you show me something tonight, I want to work. I'm being the husband you want me to be. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these men. I thank you for the time we've had in your word tonight. And though we've gone very quickly, I pray that if we're not the learner, the lover, or the leader that we need to be in our homes, God, help us to be 
willing to work on it. Help us to be honest. God, help us to take one thing tonight and say, hey, this one thing I want to be better at in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to work on this one thing. I'm going to learn more about my wife. I'm going to take the 50 questions. I'm going to love her. I want to, I want to repent of the bitterness that's swelled up in my heart. I want to be a leader. I want to lead her in the way that I need to be a leader. I want to be like Caleb and Joshua. I want to see what others didn't see. That God can heal and restore any marriage. And it can be sweet. It can be the best part of our life outside of our walk with you. I pray that for the marriages in this room tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.